are live at <laughs> that was a funny start i said that uh we are live for episode 24 of first strike brought to you by the guys of facefacegames.com yeah, i'm hearing i'm hearing rob's laugh in my other tab that i have that's why i'm distracted but anyway we're brought to be the we're brought to you by facefacegames.com the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. And I am hyped to talk about Marty Vehicles, to talk about Sealed Limited as Brian, I think you're still going to GP Richmond? I am going to GP Richmond, yeah. GP Richmond and Robert is still preparing for the Pro Tour. So that's going to be lots of stuff to talk about. But first, I do want to talk about that uh, over at Face to Face Games, we did finally launch the details on a quiet moment of, of pretty quiet moment, because considering it was the launch of Amoncat, we launched the GP Toronto website, the initial foundation of it. Still lots of stuff to, to put on the site, including prize wall, including the side event schedule that the team still has to put together uh, and, and release that. But we do, did put our initial packages. And to me, I was surprised by the reception of people because uh, there was a price increase from last year but that was to be expected since everyone is going closer and closer to that 100 dollars usd price tag we've got like lower than that like 90 canadian i think is pretty pretty damn good to be honest and what i didn't expect is that uh kelly had the great idea to put a cookie in all the packages and that seemed to be the biggest like drawing point to, to our packages like what you get a cookie so I'm totally out of touch. Like when we drew up the, the plans, I'm like, yeah, that's a nice addition. But I wasn't as hyped as the initial <laughs> But thumbs up from you, Brian. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about going until I knew I was getting a cookie. This changes absolutely everything. <laughs> like a whole cookie. This is amazing. I'm, I'm just going, I'm going to eat it in joy and silence and just appreciate my GP experience because I have a cookie in my hands. <laughs> And and we, we added some new packages, our gold platinum package, and we scrapped the the commander and, and different side events ideas that we may have had so that people didn't have to think about which package they would get want need to get if they wanted to play side events, whether you're you're a commander, standard, modern, or, or whatever format you want to play, we wanted you to get vouchers that you could use for different formats. So that was the, the basis, uh the concept behind the packages that uh, the team ended up coming out with. So really excited. So the website is gptoronto2017.com. It's on the weekend of July 21 to 23. I'll be working in some capacity, probably doing some media stuff, taking pictures and stuff for, for the website. So I'll be there and I'll hope to see you there. Uh, Rob, will, will I see you there? Yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to Kyoto the week after, so there was a small chance that I was just going to GP in Japan, I think is where the other... I don't know if it's GP Kyoto or somewhere else, um, but there's definitely a GP overseas right before the Pro Tour. So I was thinking about doing that, but yeah, Toronto's my backyard, and uh, last year went pretty well for me, so <laughs> I figure I should, uh, I should try it again. Uh, I mean, I will note, and you did talk about it, but I don't think people really realize this, that 90 Canadian is 65 US, right? So this is like a full 33% price cut to what the American GPs are doing. And I guarantee 
that the tournament will run smoother and people will be happier than any of the GPs they've gone to just below uh, the border in like Pittsburgh and New Jersey uh, and Cleveland and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I knew that Face was going to do a good job. And the fact that they have full pool registration for everyone, I think, right? Is that correct? Did I read that properly? So not only is it you're saving us 33%, you're also saving us at least an hour of our lives. It's good. It's just well, cool. actually, not everyone. I have to correct myself. Oh, okay. It's for special people like you who have buys. Oh, the buys. I see. I see. I see. Oh, okay. So if you have if you have buys, you get automatic pool registration. Okay. Well, that encourages people to play some F and M. Then come on, everyone. <laughs> let's let's go. <laughs> Minimum bar to entry is one buy. Like let's let's not mess around. <laughs> yeah, you get sleep in special included, and if you have if you use it, you're sleep in special then then uh, carpool registration comes with that as well. Um, that's how I understand it. I hope I'm not wrong because I'm on the, on the team, but I think that's how it works. And uh, one thing I also want to mention, the, the cool part is we learned from our event last year to see what type of bonuses to offer the players. So we offered, um, Sal had the great idea of offering everyone a water bottle but because uh, the team has invested in a water station at the GP so that you won't have... Uh, to buy like like the big the big thing is that you won't have to buy three dollar water, which I've had to do at, at a lot of different events in in GPs that I've played at. And here we're trying to make sure that everyone has a chance that's paying for a package has a chance to get make sure they're hydrated through the weekend. So I think that that was a pretty cool idea by the team as well. And obviously, shout outs to my boss Sal. <laughs> um, moving on. So this past weekend we got our first taste of SCG. Uh, results which is something that people are always curious about because it's always they get to have this really big tournament right before the pt um and to no to the surprise of no one more new vehicles ended up taking down the event and not only that it littered basically the top eights i think even the top 16 and now everyone's like oh uh, you know this is what we all expected but is it something to worry about because I think about all the previous SCGs before the PT, like the last one, Jeskai Sahili was sort of making their breakthrough, but ultimately the PT was all Marty vehicles. I think every time I've worried that the, the format has been solved too early, I am always surprised by the PT. Um, I am always surprised that the teams put their heads together and they always come up with something new, many different twists. To the point that I never even trust Moto results, to be honest, because I've always found that I'm like, well, the pros aren't really playing or aren't really coming up with new stuff. So these are just a bunch of grinders testing established decks, and that those are the results of what the established decks are. But do you feel differently than me, Brian? No, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think... I swear I saw someone talking about banning Gideon after this weekend. I swear I saw it, and my head almost exploded. And I, I feel bad I even said the B word in this show. Um, but that's so, so silly. I think that this tournament served to set a baseline, and I think the baseline came out exactly where you thought it would come out. I mean, Mardu Vehicles is a well-built deck that has existed for quite some time now. There was three days of preparation before this tournament, after the banning announcement and before this tournament. So if you think people had, were going to figure it out in three days how to beat the baseline, you're out of your mind. This was an important tournament because here's my main takeaway, is that I think the equation went previously 
um, Mardu beat um, Mardu beat Sahili, which beat GB, and GB beat Mardu. I think that was kind of the thing that people had going on in their heads. They were wrong. GB didn't beat anything, but that was kind of like the assumption we were operating under. So I think there's a lot of thought that coming into this weekend with Green Black getting some of its space back to dedicate towards Mardu, maybe Green Black could kind of surge in to, to take the mantle or just kind of push Mardu down. And I think one thing we can say pretty clearly after this tournament is that at least with the builds as of now, that's not happening. And again, we're, sh we're showing that Green Black does not beat Mardu. And I don't think it will, even with further adaptations, because there's a very, very key card that Mardu got, which I think people kind of slept on a little bit. I mean, it, it got into some lists, and I think it's going to be a default inclusion in all in Mardu lists. And that's uh, Cut to Ribbons. I think that's actually a game-changing card for, for the Mardu list in that matchup. Uh, the two-mana sorcery speed removal, the four damage is totally fine against Black Green. It's hitting exactly that sweet spot. It's hitting big Grim Flayers. It's hitting um, Sylvan Advocates. It's hitting Winding Constrictors. All those key things that you need to hit on turn two. You have to hit them. But it's also providing reach. So even if this is a bigger green-black deck that we're dealing with, it's one that can curve into Ishkana, well, we still have ribbons sitting in our sideboard. And maybe we have two ribbons sitting in our sideboard. And when the game goes late, we're just going to be able to 5-you, 5-you, good game. You know, and, and that's, a, that's a big difference for Mardu. Before we did that a little bit, when we started innovating into the Mardu Ballista list, and, and Ballista, you guys know, having played that list, was often great just as a source of very, very expensive reach. Um, a lot of times that's the function fulfilled in matchups besides, you know, things against the Healy, where it was kind of a combo breaker. Um, but now we're just getting that card straight up, attached to a really efficient, really good removal spell. So I'm not surprised whatsoever that Mardu has taken the lead, but this is, this is not the end of it. Um, Mardu will wear a target and people continue to work on finding ways to beat this deck and someone's going to figure it out before the Pro Tour. It, it's, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to go away. I think there'll be a Mardu Vehicles deck in the top eight, maybe even two. But th this isn't the end of the format. There's going to be other competitors. Brian, are, uh, Robert, are you as optimistic? Yeah, like, um, I'm definitely optimistic that this isn't the stalest of stale metagames and that we're in a problem situation again where after the PT, you know, they're just going to ban Gideon or Heart. I don't think that's the answer, and I don't think it necessarily is going to come down to that. Um, I'm really not surprised that Mardu did well, did the best even. It was five of the eight top eight decks, if I remember correctly. So um, it, it's just, it had the closest to being properly tuned deck, right? Like the deck had iterated since the beginning of last season. Not too much change. People were like, how mid-range versus aggro should I be? Should I be more black? Should I be more red? And they, you know, that ended up being slightly more mid-rangey and slightly more black uh, so that you can support Fatal Push and you can support a larger sideboard plan. And like, if you look at the changes from the deck, um, what's changed? So the creature base is exactly the same, except for they went down to two walking ballista because you don't have cat combo uh, around anymore, which means it opened them up to play more lands. Now they're at 25 without any issues. They cut some of the other fat vehicles like Aether Sphere or Aether Sphere Harvester that uh, sometimes got ran or Caravan or whatever, just because it's like uh, unnecessary. So they have a, a proper mana base with lots of lands that allows them to cut Aether Hubs. I believe they're playing two cycle lands and like nothing else has changed. They added one cut to ribbons to the main deck. <laughs> so like 
when you only have to change three cards in your in your sixty, uh, and you have what looks to be a pro tour level deck list, um, you know, this is probably a good chance that if you're a good player, you'll have a, a reasonable run at the event. I think it's more. What's more interesting is to look at, given how untuned the other decks were, what was able to compete uh, with Mardu and make it into the top eight, right? So we see stuff like Red White Humans, which I've been playing against a lot online, and they look to be going quite a bit more mid-range, like always watching Glorybringer, Avacyn type plan with Gideons and all that stuff in the main. I see that like, uh, Zaxstern kind of had that as his board plan. Um, and then like Mono Black Aggro, which uh, also looks like an interesting deck. And I see a bunch of stuff online there with like black, uh, black white zombies and mono black zombies, you know, putting up reasonable results uh, in, in the league. So like that, that's all good. Marvel seems to, you know, still have a reasonable presence, even though I think the deck's bad. Um, and then you have other fringe decks that are like not quite there yet, or maybe didn't have a hot enough event like blue, red emerge, which is a deck that could be very powerful. It's definitely, very explosive. So, um, yeah, it looks interesting. And there's a bunch of control decks floating around. I think they need to find their place. But uh, there looks to be enough space for people to move around. And now that people definitely know Mardu's still on top, then they can shift their game plan and, and amount of cards in their sideboard or main deck appropriately to kind of, like, you know, try and keep it in check. And I definitely think it is a deck you can keep in check. I've been playing Red Black Aggro online uh, all week, and I haven't lost a single match to Mardu, so... Um, it can definitely be beat <laughs> if that's what you're focused on doing. So yeah, I'm I'm not worried. I'm excited for this pro tour. Definitely a lot more excited than I was when I was just going to spend the three weeks tuning uh, the last four cards of four color Sealy <laughs> for the mirror or whatever. <laughs> um, I think one of one of the people that uh, left a comment on Facebook wanted to know if things have changed because Brian sounded all doom and gloom. Now that he has a few more days to digest and all that news, uh, people wanted to know how, how you feel now. But I, yeah. I think about the same. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I will say that I, I basically feel the same. And my doom and gloom wasn't directed at the current state of Standard. I actually think Standard's the most interesting that's been in a while right now. My doom and gloom was directed solely at the company. And I do think I still am concerned. I mean, nothing has really changed. But... I will say that I, I thought about it a little bit, and I, I've definitely fallen to this trap too. And one thing we do is when we, when we have this doom and gloom in this rage is that we target individuals a lot, and we start calling for heads and jobs. And I think it would really benefit us to realize that like these are people we're talking about. And I think I think like calling for Aaron Forsythe's job, and then you think, well, like he's got kids, and like he's actually now unemployed and can't feed his family. Well, that changes things a little bit. And I'm not saying he gets a pass because he has a family with all the families, but I, I do think that maybe when things like this are going wrong, as opposed to saying, you know, this person needs to be canned, we start thinking this person needs to be getting more resources. This person needs a bigger budget so they can get more staff. This person needs the tools to succeed. And maybe I sh- I, like my tone takes on attacking wizards, where it should be more about supporting. Like you need to get money into these people's hands so they can fix the problems they have. If they had a bigger playtesting staff, maybe cat combo never gets through. Um, so maybe I can start directing my rage at Hasbro as opposed to wizards. Like wizards, I think is at times an unfair recipient of my rage, and uh, I, I, my my direction might be more in the budgetary realm. Like I, I just don't think they're getting the resources they need. Or maybe their people suck. That is a possibility. But what I'm saying is I don't know. So I want to put out the possibility 
that maybe I'm, I'm not like targeting individuals. I want to target the company more. Um, and even if their people do suck, they're still people, they're still trying. Like I saw so many personal attacks on Twitter, like just belittling people who work on magic. And it's not about attacking them personally. Like if you don't understand that I'm attacking this product because it's something I love and because I ultimately want these people to succeed, I don't know what to say to you. It's it's not about belittling people. It's about wanting more. And maybe, you know, maybe that's something Wizards should think about more is that they have all these people who are willing to give so much. I mean, like, dude, when I was a lawyer, I charged $600 an hour for my time. But if Wizards wants to talk with me for an hour about my magic experience, I'll give it to them for free. And it's not just me. They have tons of, like, incredible, smart professionals who are willing to give them their time and just talk with them and, and put these ideas out there. And I, I wish they engaged a little bit more in more constructive manner than just kind of like, you know, reading the Twitter comments because they get bashed on Twitter, man. And they need to engage with the, the part of the community that wants to discuss and improve and, and think of ideas for them to implement. Not that one is that want to say, you know, you don't deserve your job. You should be fired immediately. So I guess that's just a little addendum to my rant. Um, and just kind of directing my targeting a little better than uh, at the company and, and the people who are employed by the company. It's, it's a broader thing. It's, it's about the, the resources and the health of the whole organization. Let's wrap up a bit of the standard, what, what I want to know, and, and probably a lot of the uh, people who are fans of the, the First Strike Nation. Um, from, from seeing these results, Rob, what are you and Misplaced Ginger? What's your, your plan of attack now that you've seen the SCG results. What, what is your plan given these results? Yeah, so it's kind of tricky. Um, I think that, you know, the format actually looks pretty spread. Where before it was like aggro or mid-range aggro and then like very annoying combo and like nothing else. So you're like trying to figure out how to beat this and it was a little weird, right? Now you have like real aggro decks that can side into a very annoying mid-range uh, game plan in red-white. You have annoying aggro decks that are very resilient to removal and non-exile in like the mono black or black white or blue black uh, zombies decks, and then you have like the typical Mardu, which is like an aggro mid-range deck. You have like blue red control, some like annoying decks like Teamer. Um, so there's just like a lot of things going on, and the first thing I want to do is figure out like what do we think is going to be there when the dust settles, right? And there's green black is in the mix too, obviously, right? There's a lot of different builds of green-black, and should you be more artifact-based with unlicensed disintegration or not? Should you be energy-based? Should you be delirium-based? So there's a lot of different ways that you can take that, and I want to figure out kind of what of those kind of float to the top, given what people think is the metagame currently. And then once we have that, let's assume that it's, you know, like, what's the best aggro deck? Is it white-red or is it black? Uh, I think it's going to be white-red, but I'm, I'm not sure. And then Mardu's obviously still going to be there. Um, I'm not sure if Green Black can compete, but I definitely want to know. Um, and then I think Marvel's bad, but I think people will play it, so you just have to be prepared for it no matter what. Uh, and I think Blue Red is kind of becoming the premier control deck of the the blue based decks. So like I think that's where things are going to be, and we need to see that. And once we have that, then it's time to figure out like okay, what are these strategies doing, and how are we going to beat it? And I feel like there's a mid range strategy that is able to combat the aggro strategies with just more efficient two drop two and three drop creatures so that you're not like wasting all of your premium removal on their you know uh glory bound initiates and um uh on crop 
I don't know, heroes or whatever that three twos called called and Thalia's lieutenants. Instead, you're like making them go wide, and then you're able to just kind of like clean up that mess and like you know beat them with planeswalkers or whatever, right? And then out card advantage them that way. Um, and I think that strategy can still compete against other mid range decks um, while still like having a good sideboard playing for control. And if that that's kind of like where I'm looking to find, um, and I feel that that strategy is base black. You have to that that has the right removal package that is able to deal with the threats at the low end and at the high end without kind of conceding too much. The other colors don't really have that. And I am definitely don't want to play a high-variance deck like Marvel or Blue-Red Zombies or, or Merge or whatever it's called and stuff like this. So that's kind of where my head's at now, uh, but I don't have any conclusive answers. I have been playing Red-Black Aggro for a bit. It's good, but um, it just doesn't have the late-game presence to kind of deal with uh, the Blue-Red control deck. And, like, you have to dedicate too much, like, early removal to deal with the white-red deck, but, like, your threats aren't good enough to be able to just, like, block and interact with them. So it's, it's like, a, it's kind of a weird game. They just kind of, like, uh, make you waste all your removal and then just go straight over the top of you, which is obviously, like, not something the red-black is set up, the red-black deck is set up to deal with. So I think I'll be off it going forward, but I could see someone maybe figuring out a list that's a little better than where I'm at currently. But Martyr just seems better at this point than that. Okay, sweet, sweet. Uh, we we had like a question from our Facebook page from Trip Brister. I think he one of the ones I think I can answer pretty quick is if we think lay claim is a decent hit off Marvel that doesn't clog up your hand. I imagine it's not good enough that <laughs> you're not like the upside of just being able to cycle it does not make up for the fact that it's not that powerful of, of an effect. Am I wrong, Brian? Like. No, that, that doesn't seem good enough to me. I mean, I, I do think there's a world where that card might be playable, but yeah, you, the Marvel decks need to... I, I think they need a, a new plan. I just think they're they're not getting enough payment from Ulamog. Like, that's re, that's really the, the whole issue they have, is that Ulamog just isn't worth it. And I, I don't think... I, I don't have a better card for them to play in that spot. I, I just think maybe there isn't a better card. And that's really where Marvel's kind of getting the, the short end of the stick right now. Now, if a, a format is completely unprepared, then Ulamog's probably good enough. Um, you know, if you know always on turn four, if you're like that hyper-consistent version of the Marvel deck, or if you can be the kind of controlling version where the format's really soft to fumigate, and you can just take your time, and eventually Ulamog's going to be good enough, that's fine. But I, I just think that, as of now, for Marvel to succeed, it's more about how the format shapes, and less about the Marvel decks itself, because Ulamog is always going to be the best option uh, to Marvel into, and it's always going to be not good enough, as I see it. So that, that's pretty much their big issue right now. Maybe when this new, uh, you know, Nicole Bolas Planeswalker that we all know is coming shows up, maybe he'll be good enough. You know, who knows? But uh, yeah, that, that, they're just missing a tool right now. So. Right. Well, that's our standard talk for now. Of course, if you want more and all of Rob's brews as he prepares for the PT, Check out First Strike, our First Strike Nation, where you get exclusive access to our Facebook group. So check that out, patreon.com slash firststrike to join. And uh, there's a bunch of stuff. And then our team is obviously going to be working on Cyborg Guys to be updated every Friday-ish. So that's pretty sweet as well. Moving on to preparation. Wait, before, you, before you go on, I'm going to be dumping a whole bunch of decks <laughs> today. <laughs> I have a lot of thing on my, a lot of ideas on my mind now that I've been able to sit and let the SCG results simmer. So I've I've already sketched out like four or five skeletons that I'm going to run through uh, some leagues tonight before I go to sleep. 
um, double queuing, of course. <laughs> and uh, you'll see some very interesting deck lists getting uploaded to the uh, Google Drive. I can promise that. <laughs> you know the deck I'm really interested about that I'm surprised, especially UKYT, I'm surprised no one has talked about reviving, is, is the blue-white deck. Just like having access to Sensor and um spell queller into gideon no one's interested in that like that doesn't that seems to me like something that would be very powerful and i i i don't know maybe it just fades in the in the face of mardu decks but I, i'm surprised i haven't seen any kind of sensor spell queller type mid-rangey brews starting to pop up um you know they could do avacyn again they could do uh, Thalia's, Thalia's Lancer's packages if they need to. It, it just seems like they have a lot of wiggle room, and Sensor's such a powerful card. I think the story of the Pro Tour is going to be Control again. I think it's going to look a lot like Kaladesh Pro Tour. Someone's going to figure out the right build for Control to beat all of these decks now with the metagames settling down a little bit, uh, and I'm starting to be a believer that it may not involve Torrential Gear Hulk. So that, that's kind of my uh, big speculation right now, is you might see Torrential Gear Hulk just go away. Whoa, whoa, that is as ludicrous yeah. as unlicensed disintegration is not. Playable. It might be. It might be, but I, I think that we just, uh, <laughs> I think the decks are in a position where they can maybe go no targets for removal. Um, ton of cyclers, four pull from tomorrow. Uh, maybe approach of the second sun still deserves a look. Um, you know, a, a planeswalker finisher. All of these things. I, I really like the idea of having no targets for removal in my deck and, and, just being smooth and efficient and you know curving out all over the place because you have so many cyclers and you always have all your options and that's the type of deck that demands card quantity over card quality because you can get card quality with your cyclers anyway it doesn't really like you're you're not incentivized to play glimmer of genius and loop it with torrential gear hulk when your cards are always what you want so i i don't know i think that i'm not saying that's the answer what i'm saying is there's a lot of unexplored territory and control and with the metagame kind of looking a little clearer than we thought it might be at this point, that's a good spot for Control to step up the Pro Tour. So. They need a Planeswalker that doesn't suck, though. Like, Maybe. Gideon's that, white. That, that I agree, Gideon's missing insane, piece. but he is not Elspeth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that does seem to be the missing piece. I don't, I don't know what the answer is to that. Maybe, I mean, Liliana doesn't really Gearhulk, get the job done. The it's <laughs> nah, nah. I mean, you like, play commit to memory. That that it, I understand it feels very planeswalker like. It feels very planeswalker like, but it still has the vulnerabilities of the creature, and you can't get rid of that. It'll always have the vulnerabilities of being a creature. So, I, I really like approach of the second sun. I, it's just different. Like, nothing interacts with that except for spells. I, I, it's, it's totally different than everything else. And, you know, when cast out becomes a card in the format, it doesn't matter if your threat is a planeswalker or a creature because it's just getting cast out. If there's only two threats in your entire deck, and at some point, they're going to have the cast out and be able to deal with that threat. So I like the idea of Approach of the Second Sun. Just you don't give them a chance to deal with it. All you have to do is just answer them, and eventually you're going to find your approach in the game. Uh, so I, I don't know if it's good enough, but I, I think there's a lot of unexplored territory in that area. And if I was mining for the Pro Tour, just based on my leanings and my, what I know I can play efficiently, I would move in really hard at control right now because I think I have a picture of what's going on. I think I understand what the metagame looks like. And then you'll get so many free wins. Like these Marvel decks will fall to a control deck. Like they just can't do anything. And things like the black aggro deck, that seems like that will also fall to a control deck. So I, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd want to explore this pretty hard if I, was, um, if I was going to the Pro Tour, but I'm not. So I don't have to explore anything. 
and I'll leave it to you guys to explore. And if it's a bad idea, there's no consequence to me. So sounds like a win-win as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Brian trying to derail my weekly testing. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, now I have to at least skeleton it out and see if there's something there. <laughs> I think so. I think it bears a skeleton. I'll do it. <laughs> Damn it. Maybe I'll, it. I'll just only play white for Approach of the Second Sons, and I'll play like blue-red or blue-black. Or blue-black, maybe. Maybe. That would make Could me be. less angry. We'll see. We'll see. I yeah. don't know. We'll see what it looks you're, like. You're right that the white support cards aren't as good, besides cast out. Like cast out's the only one you're really that into. Yeah, but at the point you're casting something out, you just counter whatever comes down anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's black then. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Although, red deals with all the stupid zombies. You know, black is interesting too because it has the... Um, it's, a, it's a spell that I wasn't too high on, but the new Runus Path. Being able to get something out of the graveyard for the control decks is a pretty big deal because you see not only do we have Scrap Heap Scrounger, but there's the one the one drop in black as well. Um, and it's just a good utility for a control deck to have. That's usually the pressing answer, right? Like recursive threats is how you beat a control deck as an aggro deck. Well, now I can both kill your I can kill your Gideon and in the later game get rid of your Scrap Heap Scrounger. Sounds pretty good. Or I can just play Magma Spray and Magma Spray your Scrap Heap Scrounger off the face of the earth. So a lot more answers these days. And that's why I, I think control has some some fruit to be mined. Hmm. What are you surprised I haven't worked on it? It's not, it's nothing like blue, white, white flash. No, no. I, I'm, I think I'm talking two different decks. Okay, I think okay. there's a, a blue, white flash, mid rangey type build. And then there's the hard control deck. Uh, I, I, I think the control deck sounds better to me, but just Damn. the way that people, <laughs> people feverishly clung to the blue, white deck, despite the fact that it was always garbage. That usually means they're like going to try and revive it. It's like the new mono black, right? Like everyone wanted mono black to be a control a control deck every single format. Like we have to try mono black control, and it was always trash. Well, that's the way like the blue white deck kind of was to me. It's like oh, this deck's trash. Everyone's playing it anyway, and I'm surprised someone hasn't revived it at this point. <laughs> well, Still have most of your pieces. For, it's for the copter. The Missing the copter yeah. just makes all kinds of cards yeah, bad. Yeah, that's the biggest miss for sure. And, yeah. and the thing is, it didn't get a good fill-in in Heart of Kieran, so it does have to look a little different. But there's a lot of other, there's a lot of other new cards out there to explore now that you can play. I mean, there's like the Glorybound Initiate who can attack as a four-four, and you know, weird little things like that that you could explore. Maybe that idiot should go into Mardu. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Think about that. <laughs> Think about that some more. Okay, well, that will do for for our Saturday talk. Um, let's move on to some GP Richmond talk. Some G for for Brian preparing for the GP now that he's unemployed, playing fighting games, and hopefully putting in some amount of prep besides jamming some I don't know Street Fighter. <laughs> What's going on? A lot on? of Street Fighter Five. Yeah, working on my uh, you know Hadoukens and whatnot. But yeah, no, I've actually I have played a lot of limited. Uh, not like you know an actual like grinder amount. I can't believe how much magic people play, man. Like I love magic, but I look at the number of trophies some of these dudes have. It's like, do you just wake up, start playing and then just play till you can't play anymore? I would go crazy if I did that. As much as I love magic, like I kind of like my longest magic days are tournament days and my next longest magic days are about half that length. I don't need them to be that long just cause I like, I like diversifying. I like doing lots of things. Um, but anyway, I have played more than I usually play at this point of a set. I really enjoy the draft format. Um, and the sealed format is a little bit of a step up. I mean, sealed is, is always going to have its problems. I'm not saying this is like 
a good sealed format. I don't think we'll ever have a good sealed format again, but it is okay. I, I found most of the games interesting, at least, and they have some good decision points and uh, ways to deal with bombs are, are out there. Um, There's there's still a problem. It's it's sealed. What are you going to do? That's the way sealed works. Um, but the limited format has been really interesting to me. So many things that if you had asked me prior to playing the set what I thought about it, I'm, I'm being proven wrong on, which I think is one of the hallmarks of a good limited set is that there's a lot of depth to it and you have to kind of play and unpack things to understand it. And Amonkhet has proven itself to be that type of limited format. I really like blue decks right now, and I don't think that's a commonly shared feeling. I, I think the blue-black cycler deck is like my favorite deck to draft. I think it's underdrafted a lot of the times. Uh, I find it to be really good, really explosive. Um, you know, you are reliant on some key cards, some, some commons and uncommons, and if you miss them, your deck's certainly going to fall apart, but it, you get rewarded for reading signals well, and you know, if you get a seventh pick, uh, 1-3 flyer who gets bigger when there's cycling, I forget his name, but you get that like seventh pick, pack one, you start thinking, okay, maybe this is my time to move in, because um, I think that guy's very good, and then, you know, you pick up a tenth pick, uh, the 2-3 blue guy who gets plus one, plus one who, when it cycles, then all of a sudden your deck's insane by the time you pack three. You've accumulated all these cycling cards, and you can just kind of, you get to play a very tempo-ish build where you just kind of like snap and turn the corner out of nowhere. Uh, so I really enjoy playing that deck. I'm underwhelmed by white aggro in general. I think white aggro just doesn't, all of my white aggro decks look insane, especially my blue-white decks. Like, I've had, I can't tell you how many times I've had the nut and bomb deck. I'm like, this deck's unbeatable. It's so good. And then just like, it does nothing. Absolutely nothing. You never get to embalm anything. Because the format does tend aggressive, embomb Embalm in particular is a, a mechanic that is much worse than I thought it would be. I thought it would be like a huge deal, and it just isn't. And the best example I can give is the 3-2 Vigilance guy with Embalm. Like a lot of times I would just pass on a 3-2 Vigilance guy. Uh, having the Embalm tied at the back end makes this card totally worth it. Like this is just a good value. It's not. It's not. Like when he, by the time you embalm that guy, he's so irrelevant on board because boards get very cluttered, and you can't just keep trading off resources when when the game is as aggressive as it is and there's so many ways to kind of punch through damages things like you know red cartouches and it's it's hard to set up efficient blocks sometimes trial of ambition uh again that's a white card so if you're playing this white aggro deck maybe you're not doing so good in the first place but i don't know there's a lot of really interesting wrinkles to the format i I, it could just be that i don't have white aggro figured out yet i'm underwhelmed by it though i'd I'd much rather have a, a blue deck at this point in the format What? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rob drops to go crazy, but Bro hasn't invested the limited <laughs> the amount of limited uh that he would want at this point. Yeah, I've been playing more standard. Um but I have been I, I have had a bunch of drafts in. I don't think I've actually drafted white yet. <laughs> I'm probably like eight drafts deep. Um and I don't think I've really played against a white deck either. <laughs> So, so which is not just fall off the <laughs> And I haven't been losing a lot, so I haven't played it in the finals of anything. Um, I maybe uh, it's just that people don't know how to build that kind of um, exert deck yet, and they're just pairing it incorrectly, or people are undervaluing the cards that look kind of weaker on first blush, but are actually insane in the other colors that just like push you in the direction of them, right? So, like, the black horror that cycles, that gets plus two, plus one when you cycle a card, like, that guy's just great. Yeah. Um, just absolutely great. 
The Vizier is just great. The Black Vizier, he gets indestructible. It's very annoying to deal with. The removal's already bad, and he makes it just like, okay, attack then. Or do you want to block? Like, I just have a handful of cards. Likely, this guys can get indestructible at zero cost to me, and I'm going to do what I want to do. Then you have cards like Wander and Death that just allow the black deck to just go straight into the late game with, like, you know, cycling whatever they want in the early game to, like, hit their land drops and find what they need to interact properly. And then they just, like, start buying the 4-4s back, right? Or the 6-4 or the 5-5 five, five, uh, Serpent or whatever. And they start slamming Haymakers on turn 6 onward. Um, and I think that those cards should be spread out more. But, like, right now I think people don't know that they're very good. Uh, and then the player, like, you can just go into those decks. I, I find it's very easy to get in the cycling deck, and you just get paid off. Like, the Hieroglyphics card, I see it wheeling. This card is it's great, right? It's just great. It's exactly what you want in that deck. The Horror, just wheeling. Wander and Death, wheeling. It's, uh, and these are, like, some of my favorite cards in, in blue-black, and I, I think it's uh, crazy. So maybe, like, just those Exert cards look better than they are. People are overdrafting them, and then, like, the deck's just never really able... To kind of get there, it seems like it should have some staying power, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I need to probably get another ten to fifteen drafts in where like I actually get a chance to draft a white deck, and I'm not taking like some blue bomb uh, first pick since like there's so many fat sphinxes that you can just uh, start your draft with <laughs> that are like nigh unbeatable. Um, so uh, I guess the other deck that's been good for me has also not been white. Uh, it's been blue green, but it's been base green almost like 80 to 90% green. And like the only blue cards I really want to put in the deck are like the blue cartouche. And then I'm looking for like all of the trials that I could possibly play. And then essentially any green card that says exert anywhere on it. And you just like put a blue cartouche on it and start bashing them for anywhere from four to six uh, each turn. And since the removal is not great, it's pretty easy to close out the game quickly. And then you can just like do a normal green game plan while that's happening, which is like, playing four mana four threes and five mana five fives and, and whatever, and making it very annoying for your opponent to try and kill you while still also putting pressure on them. So um, I, I find that strategy is like uh, pretty, pretty good. Um, and then you have like some card advantage stuff you can pick up too, right? Like the hieroglyphics card or uh, like a late pull from tomorrow, since nobody seems to know that that card's also bonkers. <laughs> um, but yeah, those, those are the, the, the two colors. I, I like black anything. And then uh, green blue, I've had the most uh, success with. Red blue is good if you get all the cards, but it's kind of a a little bit more of a gamble. You need the uncommons to make that deck work. Yeah, it's possible white's just overdrafted right now because I think on its face a lot of the cards look very powerful. Um, <laughs> but I'm starting to think I, I want my red aggro decks to be paired with black much more than I want them to be paired with white. Um, which is just not what I would have expected. I mean, like, you know, I'm talking like the 16 land low curve aggro decks with like 10, two drops and a few one drops. And they just, they just don't win for me. And they look so good on paper. I'm like, wow, this is what like a block constructed deck would look like. Um, but yeah, uh, I, it's totally possible. I haven't figured it out. It's also possible it's overdrafted. Uh, so maybe is the format kind of if, as it takes it takes people time to understand how to draft the slower decks in every format. Like it's easy to just take guys and beat with them, and then people need to understand where the points of value are out of the slower decks. That's just the way limited formats work. If you look at my early Kaladesh testing, was like wow, this format's hyper aggressive. And in retrospect, that looks silly. But in our first like twenty drafts we played, because I went to a, a draft camp where we were just doing a ton of drafts. 
it, it made sense. Like the aggro decks were crushing everything, but it's just that we knew how to draft the aggro decks at that point, and we hadn't really put all the pieces together and, and understood how to, you know, draft kind of like the long-term invention-style decks, if you will. Um, so we could be going through that right now, and I, I think maybe I figured out the control decks much faster than a lot of other people, and I'm benefiting from that. But it's at the expense of figuring out the aggro decks because I, I just don't get them right now. I've seen fan bearers like go fifth through tenth in the draft, and that's like yeah, probably it seems a lot closer to five. Common. Like I, I think it's probably better than the than yeah. the pacifism, and it's just like this is how you're beating the deck that just wants to play like a cryptic serpent and kill you, right? <laughs> you need yeah. these fan bearers. Um, so the fact that they're going late, I just, yeah, I feel like people think that's not an aggro card. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, and that, that points to white's identity being different than an aggro color, you know? Like, it's hard to play fan bearer in an aggro deck. I mean, it has its place, but you are a little hesitant to give up your mana like that. I guess, like, you just have to sit on board until you, you get to the late game and use it as a mana sink, but that's not yeah, ideal. I think it's more like... Tap, tap, end of turn, tap before combat, cast Trumpet Blast, kill you. Like, I think that's how the deck needs to interact. And I've never seen anyone build it like that, but I feel like that's where you kind of want to be. Because I've seen um, aggro decks get their opponent down to, like, four, six pretty easily. But then there's nothing to close it out, right? And I think Trumpet Blast is probably a lot better than people are giving it credit for. And I've never seen it cast. (laughs) So... (laughs) Cards usually good. It's got cycling now. Probably still fine. I'm gonna need to re- check out all the screenshots again that the Rob you've posted of, or or Brian, if you're gonna post some uh, until Saturday of these blue decks, because because I've gone on record and in the chat that I love the Naya colors the most, just because I've been grinding with these exert attack strategies and and. I do see where, where uh, Brian's coming from uh, when it comes to in, in va- wavering initiate and how the format is so aggressive that it does reduce the awesome sauceness of embalm when when it's five man you're, you're putting a three two back into play. But it's no, oh, I I like it. I like the white cards. Like my MVPs are definitely Gus Walker mentioned before the three one spear master that is just really easy to get for a damage in and. Uh, just playing a bunch of white cartouches that go, again, really well with Wavering Initiate because it has Vigilance. Now you're adding First Strike to it permanently. So I've been having success with it, but I'm going to have to uh, expand my range here and uh, consult these guys when it comes to the blue-black and and a lot of these cycle decks, see what's going on. (laughs) Um, I actually end up uh, scrubbing out of a uh, face-to-face game Montreal Open this past weekend. I had to message Rob, my, my sorrows, Rob and uh, Vince, about... Uh, I just felt like some of the cards, um, I think I mentioned either in previous episodes or two episodes ago, how some of... It's just so aggressive, and some of the best cards are just common and common, like the Crocodile I mentioned a lot, or the 4-4, four, four, uh, the 2-drop 4-4 four, four Exemplar uh, in green that starts off as a 1-1, one, one, but easily. Uh, exemplar stream becomes a 4-4 and then in round one I basically got beat by the I believe it starts at as a 4-3 red uncommon and you can exert it to give it plus one plus one and menace or is it just Emberhorn, Emberhorn Minotaur and that card is just I couldn't like I couldn't set up 
my deck to to be able to like block like a board stall thing because it can give it menace. So I was taking five, was taking a lot of damage. I think we were really aggressive, and then round two, I lost to Bonty, which I learned quickly that it was insane. Uh, and he was able to combo it with Hapatra, Vizier of Poisons, which is the green-black two-drop. That every time you you put a minus one, minus one counter on, I think, anything, you get a 1-1 death touch snake. And with Bonte, every time you can sack a guy to drain for one and scry one. So he was just, like, chaining snakes, sacrificing things, and attacking. And Bonte is able to attack uh, as long as something died during the turn. So he was able to sack, have that synergy, and attack me. Uh, for the fact that Bonty is menace as well, I thought that was just like a killer combo. Once he's assembled that, I looked at him like I can't, I can't get out of it because I can't kill Bonty because it's in- indestructible. So that was kind of tough, but it was really cool to see the synergy. I did end up playing round three, but uh, just just to test my deck a bit more, uh, ended up winning a close one, but uh, decided to drop, so I gave my opponent the win. But that, that's how my silly Saturday went. Um, didn't have. Opened to Liliana, but uh, went all the way with her when I did cast her, so she's obviously superb. Uh, but, yeah, really, it was really got hammered by Bonte and aggressive decks. Like, feeling that um, the lesson I learned from round one is I felt like I needed a removal spell for multiple guys. Like, I, like I was saving the, the new downfall for for something big, but I was getting cracked for five or four, and I'm like, I have to kill this dude. and if he has another, he or she has another bomb, I'm just dead. So that's how I. Uh, You're talking about Bantu, right? The, the gods? Uh, Bantu, Bantu, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> just so everyone at home that's listening can, uh, can follow yeah, along. We, we've all He's not been, talking been about making fun of you in the chat for like five minutes now. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Uh, leopard, man, Leopard. <laughs> I just couldn't uh I was trying to like sit there and trying to race and I'm like wow I I can't these guys are so big that yeah like they just didn't put the removal in the set to be able to deal with the bombs that they also put in the set right I don't even think the removal in the set can deal with the commons <laughs> that they put in the set let alone to deal with the mythics um unless you get a bunch of final rewards like that's the only time you feel safe and I don't know, like, how many pools even have final reward in them? One in five? Probably have one or more. And then, like, how many of those pools are even going to play black, right? Like, maybe uh, 70%, since black is probably one of the the deeper colors. So it's just, like, I don't know. (laughs) The bombs just run rampant in sealed, I find. I don't don't think this is a very good sealed format. I played a couple online, a couple pre-releases, and I wasn't super excited with how the games played out unless both people's decks were equally bad. Then it's interesting because no one can do anything and you're just kind of staring at each other with a bunch of creatures. But uh, yeah, if someone just has a bunch of mythics, like Ronus, like how do you beat Ronus? Seals. <laughs> the guy just smashes everything. You can't block it. It has death touch and it makes all your creatures insane. So I don't know. There, like, there's well, never going to be another good sealed format again. Like we're at the take what you can get point. And as far as, far as that goes, this is yeah. like, no, I agree. okay. But uh, you're you're right. It's still. I think that's the biggest thing that I learned immediately when playing sealed is that like 
I, I had like a quasi aggressive build and I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to run this aggressive build. And I, I had two builds. One was like uh, what seemed to be a pretty good aggressive deck and a more bomb focused late game deck. And I started with the aggressive deck. And very quickly, I realized, like, unless your synergies are just through the roof, you're so incentivized to play towards your bombs in this format because you're right. There's not a lot of removal for them. And then, like, the other deck was a green-black deck with the, the guy who makes snakes when you put a minus one, minus one counter on things. And as soon as I played that guy, I'm like, oh, I can't lose this game ever in a million years. So you're way better off just building to your, towards your bombs than trying to put together a bunch of two twos and three ones and kind of run your opponent over unless your pool is just one of those special pools in like 75% of all cases, you're going to be better off building towards the late game, building towards your bombs and, and just trying to get there. Cause I, I don't think that most of the decks are going to put together the nut aggro draws. They're going to feel like aggro draws cause you're going to lose very quickly, but you didn't actually lose to just unchecked aggression. You lost to a bomb in most cases. And it just felt like you lost to an aggro draw. And I, I have a feeling that's what you're talking about as well. KYT, you're just not really like, putting the pieces together you're feeling like you got run over but it was really more just like a mesh of synergy um mixed with a bomb that really took you out yeah and this this type of format which watsi has been pushing very heavily as of late is based on like interesting typical like high synergy draft formats but also when you don't have the removal it like very much caters to the more casual player and uh, it actually, I think it, I feel that it, I don't know if I'm correct, but I feel that it evens the playing field in skill level more, right? Because like, if you give everyone the opportunity to build decks that can have bombs and they can deal with bombs appropriately, a more skilled player can put together a better game plan and use the removal um, more effectively to deal with the things that matter, right? But if you remove the ability of everyone to be able to actually deal with the things that matter, then it just it's more luck, right? It's who gets the things that matter in the highest quantity and, and, you know, plays them first. And this format feels close to that. And I feel like they've done that a couple times now uh, in the last few blocks. And it's, it makes sealed kind of annoying. <laughs> I wish there were more answers, less unbeatable threats. Like that's, that should be where we start. I feel like that's a good sealed format baseline and core sets used to, used to be there. But they're gone now. So I agree with Brian. We'll never have a good still format again. <laughs> I want to add on to what Brian, uh, one of his tips last week, uh, two weeks ago when he was on, and that he, he advocated for usually not going for, for aggro uh, in sealed because you're not, not going to get that curve. And sometimes uh, I think if I had to rebuild my pool, maybe because I, I made a, a black-white aggressive deck, and maybe the curve j- just didn't match the, the, that type of game plan. And, you know, once I don't have that magical 2, 3, 4 drop, I might be uh, really behind and uh, maybe have to go back, reconstruct it, sw- switch out, like, the white for, for red for, for more removal and, and, and play more of a long game. So that's something to keep in mind that uh, if you're opening your seal pool, it might not be as aggressive uh, as you need it to be to, to be to be successful so um with that said we, we talked about the sealed just want to and brian talked about how he likes one of the good parts about this draft format is because you had to dig a little deeper to discover some of its awesomeness and christian calcano got a little bit of flack for calling it he's ready to call this the best draft format of all time 
lots of Twitter responses from people like Marshall Sutcliffe, LSV, LSV, like put question mark, question mark, question mark, and has his reply. Brian, does this have a chance to be the best draft format of all time? Probably not. Probably not. It doesn't feel that good to me. Like, I think I... I think I'm at a period in my magic life where I just needed some like shiny ray of hope. And, and this felt good enough to be that like a, a positive, a net positive limited format that I had potential to enjoy. Um, and I have a feeling that maybe Calcano is going through some of the same things where like he, j- he just needed some good times, man. And, and he, ha- he keeped all of his praise on Amonkhet um, just to feel good for a little while. But this, yeah, we have a long way to go. I mean, like the all time great, draft formats unpack themselves for weeks and months and they get more and more interesting and you find things that were buried before. And I don't, I, I, I think I see what's available here. I just don't know how much of it is, is good. And I think there might be some unbalanced, like that's the thing about, you know, you look at past formats people love and it's that not only were all these options, but all of these options were viable. And I'm already concerned about some of the, the options in Amonkhet and how viable they actually are. So I, I'd be very surprised if this shakes out as an all-time great draft format. I, th- I think he was just so desperate for, after all the doom and gloom and magic for the last few months. He just wanted something to get excited about, and he, he hung his hat on Amonkhet. So good effort, but I'm not buying it yet. Not, not one of the all-time greats. Rob, what do you think? Is there a chance this goes no. down as the best? Zero <laughs> percent. Just absolute zero percent. Um, it's just there's not enough interesting things going on. Uh, and I just, like, cons was so good. Like, triple cons was so good. And there were so many interesting decks. There were good two-color decks. There were good three-color decks. There were good four- and five-color decks that there's just, like, I have with 100% certainty <laughs> uh, faith that this format will not outpace cons. And I think it's complete hyperbole <laughs> to say that it might. <laughs> Um, but it looks like it might be a good draft format, which is nice. <laughs> it's a nice change. <laughs> Rob, is your is your opinion of cons an outlier? Because I I was actually playing maybe the least I ever played Magic in my life when cons was released, and even though I, I did top eight a limited GP in the format, I played it hardly at all and know almost nothing about it, and and didn't like it when I played it. Um, so I I don't I just don't know. That's not something I've heard a ton of people say the same kind of praise for cons. But maybe I'm just out of the loop and. I'll just copy you on a whole bunch of old tweets from a few years ago. Yeah, is, is it just everyone who loves it? Uh, and I missed out. I missed the boat because I was working 90 hours a week. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, <clears throat> it wasn't intuitive. So I can, if you're like only five to 10 drafts deep, then I can see how you wouldn't like it because it's difficult. But once you're like at the 25 to 50 draft mark, and it was like something that I probably drafted 100 times uh, and never got bored of, it was just like great. There's always something very interesting to do, and the fact that like morphs really lower the like they they set the bar really low for what's playable because everyone's playing gray ogres, and it lets you like develop a reasonable board, and then you get to play these eighteen land decks that are you know have good mana. You get to hit your land drops on time. There was good removal, but the creatures were good, but nothing was like insane when. Uh, what was it, Favor Forge or whatever came out, then that brought, like, the Citadels, which were all stupid, especially the white one. That's when the format got a little bad. But in the in the initial one, like, yeah, like, it was 
it was very good. I w- I'm surprised that you haven't heard people talk about how great it is. I think the people that are like very, very into limited have all consensus that it's better than Rise of Eldrazi, which I disagree with on that point, that Rise of Eldrazi should be in the, in the conversation, but <laughs> I agree with them that Kongs is great. But yeah, I think I was just. We should so do a poll. KYT can do a poll. What about uh, <laughs> on Twitter? We'll wait, see. What about uh, Triple Innistrad? I think that's hailed by so many people as the very best. Yeah, these these people are high too. Like, what? um, so triple, many people say that. So many pros I, say that. I agree. I agree. It's just because on average, draft formats are not great, right? Um, like Cons was the only draft format where everything in the format was playable. All of the three color pairs was were playable. Multiple two color pairs were were playable and five colors was playable like you can you can build good decks in all those colors that's that's why i think it is the best format because like if you get stuck somewhere like sometimes like in innistrad oh you got stuck in black red okay you're dead like you just there's almost a zero percent chance you can three out right um and there was a bunch of strategies like that in innistrad where they're just like not they're not good right like there was a couple strategies that were very good just like rise um and those decks were different and they were interesting. Like the blue black zombies deck was different and interesting with the the stitchers and stuff like that. Spider spawning was interesting, and like the green white travel prep deck was kind of like something that wasn't really being done before, where you're kind of like an aura ish deck, even though it's a it's an it's a sorcery or whatever. Um, so like those were really like the three decks. The werewolves deck was like meh. Vampires was meh. Um, I don't know, like, the enemy pairs were all kind of, like, meh. <laughs> so, I guess there was, like, the blue-red um, Burning Vengeance deck was interesting, too, like, if you got the pieces. But if you get... Some some color pairs were just terrible, and I don't like a draft format like that. I don't like... It's like, wow, my seat, wow, the you know, black-green is open in BFC draft. Like, oh, great. Like, I'm so happy. Like, they're so open, and my deck's still terrible. It's like, that's, that's not good to me. And Innistrad had some of that. Uh, Rise had some of that. But Cons did not. If you could find the open, um, like it was definitely rewarding, um, and your deck was going to be just fine. You could, you could compete, uh, and that's that's where limited is. That's when draft is good because then it it devalues luck and values skill uh, more. I yeah, mean, there, there's the no you find different, but <laughs> there, there's no greater death knell in my eyes for a limited format than the situation you described where you are passed into a wide open archetype and you're like, crap. It happened to me at Pro Tour Milwaukee. I, I was just hand over fist handed the red green landfall deck with like double rolling thunder and like every rare you could possibly want. And I'm like taking these cards and I'm like, God damn it. God damn it. Just angrily, angrily taking these cards, knowing that there's no matter how many of these great cards I deck, I get into my deck, there's no way I do well. And I went 2-1 in the draft. It was the most busted 2-1 deck you could ever possibly have. And, like, I played Sandy Dog to 3-0 the pod, and he was, like, a mediocre red-black deck, and I never felt like I had a chance against him. It wasn't even close. And for, for a color to be that devalued, where you could just have absolute... Like, I, these are the cards I would have picked to put into my deck if you had just let me take, you know, like, uh, what is it called? Rotisserie draft, my deck. This is what my deck would have looked like. And I still knew there was no chance I could have. So, so you're right that those type of effects really hurt a limited format. Um, you know, my, first, my personal favorite draft format of all time is Triple Shadow. And I never hear anyone say that. I think it's such a good draft format. And, like, there's no support for it. No one's ever... I, I'm the lone supporter of Triple Shadow more is the best draft format of all time. So I I've never drafted it. 
<laughs> yeah, you have to draft it. It's so good. It's my favorite draft format. I feel like it would be complicated to just go in for one draft. <laughs> Probably, yeah. You're not going to figure it out, and you're not going to get it. But I, a lot of it too is like that was my first foray into competitive magic. Like after, you know, twenty some years of I guess it wasn't that long at that point. So that would have been like twelve years, thirteen years of you know just playing a magic a magic tournament here or there. That's the first season I ever played a PTQ during. Um, so so maybe that bumps it up a little bit in my eyes, but uh, yeah, I I love Triple Shadowmore. I'll draft it any chance I can get. Shadowmore is like a format where you're taking cards of all the colors, but you're a mono deck, monocolor deck, or something like that. Yeah. Is that... yeah okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of a lot of hybrid cards, and a lot of the best decks were mono. Like mono red was insane, um, and then when when Eventide got added, mono white was insane. So I, I don't know. It's just something about it. I, I enjoyed all the gameplay. I thought all the games were very very interesting. So I wonder if uh, I'm trying to dissect the reasoning behind. Calcano's thoughts outside of the fact that we were in this depressing constructed or was in the depressing constructed formats. I think him and, and I've seen Pascal Maynard really just love cycling. I really love that it reduces variance and that's why they enjoy it. I imagine that's why they enjoy it. Um, but both of you would agree it wouldn't that doesn't necessarily make it the best format of all time. Not enough. It's a good if start. they would take out in bomb, right? And then make the white and blue cards have this and playable. the blue cards like an, yeah. First of all, playable. Sorry, the white and green cards have like the same type of cycling with them as well. So that like everyone was cycling, just the same as like in cons, everyone had morph. Then I think this format would slow way down, and uh, it would be in, you would be able to do interesting things in all five colors, right? But now like certain decks are just not relegated to having fun. And it's the non-Grixis colors for the most part. Um, so, I don't know. I feel like this is very close. It's going to be closer to Rise than it is to Cons. Okay. Um, we have a question in the nation from Dag Eric Bornich talking about uh, the GOAT spot EV. I just took a quick look at it. Um, how that if you're decent... In standard, that you should be jamming this because there's over 62 ticks, 60 ticks, sorry, of EV. But when I take a quick look at it, if I just for what I this is funny because I had this discussion with Rob over the weekend about what is an, an okay rating to have on MTGO, and I, I just felt like since you start at 1600, I feel like the above average player. Is roughly seventeen fifty, I would think, Rob. But Rob has never been down there in a while. But I think seven fifty is a good. Yeah, no, I, I think I got down there recently actually because I tried out some real weird builds in the weeks. I was like, I'm gonna try the limits, and it's like oh three oh three oh three. Yeah, cool. Okay, <laughs> that was fun. Next. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, typically when I have a home deck, like when I had uh, when I was testing for GPNJ. Um, and I was playing Mardu. I got up to like nineteen twenty or something like that. So, um, but yeah, I would say that like seventeen fifty is your average good, uh, whatever whatever format they're playing. Player, they're they probably uh, fluctuate between seventeen hundred when they're running bad and eighteen hundred when they're running good. And I think that's a reasonable place to be if you can consistently stay in eighteen hundred. You're probably playing too much Magic. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think that, it, yeah, if, if you're really 
stuck in the 1600s or below for a, a long period of time, then then I, someone has to someone better than you has to take a look at your game because then there's definitely something that you're likely consistently doing wrong, and you would definitely benefit from from someone looking over your shoulder. Uh, for here, if you for go spot like 70-50, like I said, is very reasonable according to their EV calculator. It's plus 17.4 for standard PTQ preliminary. So that's pretty sweet. Like I've talked at, about at 17.50. Yeah, it calculates based on your rating. It can calculate based yeah, on your rating. Yeah, it assigns a certain win percentage based on your rating, um, and then and then like just runs the the math to figure out like on average, if you that win percentage, where would you place in the event, and then what would your EV be? So like two, three, and below, you're you're down thirty bucks, but like above that, you're obviously start making something, right? But they right. they do they apply um, value to the PDQ finals ticket? I can't. So, they, they don't. They don't. Okay. Yeah, so, so it's probably even higher than they are saying. Well, they they basically when you click, they estimate the thing is they estimate 128 players participate in the finals. So I don't know what the average. I'd have to look into that whether it's smaller or greater than that number. But of course, like they assign a zero to Pro Tour invite. They assign a lot of value in basically the foil Amon Ket set at 199.99. That you get if you seven zero or six one, so they're extrapolating through to the next branch as well. Like there, this is a combined calculation for a PPTQ plus PTQ. Is that correct? Um, if you look at uh, the yeah the EV of the PT preliminary, it includes your EV of the PT finals if you make okay. it. Okay. And uh, considering that. You know, when we started the show, we talked about how when I discovered this site, how bad the limited, any limited event is, even if you're super good like Rob and, and running like you're good and you're running good, it can be tough to churn out the profit long term, uh, maybe not early in the early stages of a format. Uh, as I've learned, I, I had completely forgotten once a set releases and you're playing Especially for me, I just jumped into the intermediate uh, draft leagues because they're they're the most popular ones. So they fire them off, and I jump into them, and a lot of people just lose to simple combat tricks or doesn't know that don't know my creature has first strike and stuff like that. So I was able to take advantage of a lot of these obvious mistakes and and have a very solid win rate to start. But uh, I think in the long run, if you're playing against good, good, okay, solid players, it's going to be tough uh, based on the prize structure. And but we're seeing how like for competitive leagues, constructed or, or standard PTQs, these are this is the way to go. So I'm it's very encouraging to see these uh, super positive numbers and seeing how they calculate it. Unless because the max, the thing about the, the max, no, a number of entries for these PTQs are are a lot bigger. Like I think they can be three hundred or something like yeah, that. The, the seals I think get a lot of people. Right. Yeah, so, it's over 200, like, very regularly. This is really interesting. You, this may shock people who listen to this show now because it's so not in character with the way I currently play Magic. But there was a point in time where I was a moto grinder, and I, I did play a lot. And not so much that I would sit there and play 12 hours a day, but I played every single day. Uh, and I played, like, five or six hours every day. And for four years, I owned every single card on moto and didn't put one penny into it. Like, it was totally possible to be 
uh, extremely profitable as a moto player. Now my rating, I mean, I think my limited rating at the time spiked at like 2100 and my constructed was always like 1950 plus, but this was also a long time ago when people were way worse and I cared a lot more about moto. Whereas now like I get land screwed twice in a row and I'm like, drop, like <laughs> get me out of this tournament. I don't want to deal with it anymore. Um, but I, it, it shocks me to know that you can still actually, I mean, I had assumed just cause the way I treat moto now that the days of actually going infinite and not having to spend any money were dead. I thought it was just kind of programmed out of the system at this point, but these numbers make it sound like maybe someone is still out there living the grinding dream. Like I used to do, you know, six, seven years ago. Um, that's good to know. I mean, I, I like that someone somewhere is just playing magic for free all the time. Uh, it's not me anymore. I'll tell you that. I just like, I throw money at them hand over fist and I, I don't really know why, but <laughs> they, they get all my tickets. It, it was inconceivable for me, but uh, we know what it's likely still true now, but a lot of people like that, a lot of Brazilian friends that I know that this is their main source of income. And yeah, other economies, you know, as Canadians and Americans, we are in a very privileged economy, but other economies, you know, the rate you get from playing moto all day might not actually look that bad in comparison to some of the other jobs. So yeah, I think you're right. And I, I think that's where a lot of the top Brazilian guys came from. They were just moto grinders who played, you know, they were making more money doing that than they could doing a minimum wage job in their country. So. Yeah. And so the, this is good that these competitive leagues and like the standard PQs, the fact that you're making a lot is that if you're one of these 1600 players, these weaker players, you're losing a lot of, uh, of ticks or value when you enter these, because that's where it's coming from. It's shifting from like the difference is a lot bigger. You're 1600 and you're, because you're likely not, you're likely not going to qualify for, uh, for the PTQ finals. So yeah, I recommend people just grind through, but of course, you know, with the insecure, like not knowing if MTGO is going to last forever and stuff like that, might not want to invest it. Is it worth investing in constructed deck, Brian? <laughs> uh, probably not. <laughs> but uh, it could be that none of this is is all that worth it. Um, I, I don't know. Do what makes you happy, man. If you're happy investing in a, in a constructed deck and you're really going to get reps out of it and enjoy your time playing Moto, then go do it. Uh, for me, the state of the program makes it a little difficult for me to enjoy my time uh, on Moto. I, I wish it was a little cleaner, a little snappier. I wish it it felt good to play. It just doesn't right now. So. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd rather not. I'd rather not sink that much into it. Rob, any last words on this topic? Yeah, well, not on on value, <laughs> but on Moto. They were touting that like the most players ever have been logged into Moto uh, since whatever. I think we we mentioned that last week or whatever, right? And, and strength, like, it's Maybe. been the leggiest it's ever been, and I feel like that's applicable for everyone my opponents seem laggy and i'm laggy and it's like laggy from my laptop it's laggy from my <laughs> desktop which is a gaming machine it's laggy on someone else's internet my work internet which has like a direct fiber connection out it's just like always laggy i don't understand so cool i'm glad everyone's playing but <laughs> let's like up the server capacity or something i feel like it's a little overburdened <laughs> yeah i also i also raged at that number too because what a meaningless metric like well your game's bigger than it's ever been in the history of its existence 
shouldn't that number have been going up the whole time? Like the fact that we weren't continually hitting that every single week, like the most players ever, isn't that a huge problem? Like it, it shouldn't spike because you finally gave into the demands of the players and, and let us have our cards at a reasonable time. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was a little bit of a, a self-serving number. Like, yeah, it is something. It, it's, it's indisputable. The most players ever played, that's great. But uh, let's not hide behind that number to mask a lot of the serious problems we're still dealing with at this juncture, you know? <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap the show up. Uh, the, I think we covered a lot of questions. We had one quick one. Kara Davis asked, Frontier, dead, dying, never a thing. So let's just a few cents from us. I think that it's uh, to balance out what I think will be the answers from these gentlemen. Uh, I think it's still very much alive in Toronto. It didn't work out in Montreal just because it's a smaller uh, base of players. So, so even running free events, it eventually uh, the interest was not there. Uh, but I, I think it is still successful, very successful in places like Toronto and likely Japan. Though I do think I've read tweets. I don't want to. S- spout in accurate facts but i think it, it might be slowing down over there i do think the reason why it succeeded was because it hit it came out at a really good time where things were sort of slowing down and you could start to explore and play different things like i don't remember there being a large incentive to play modern or standard when we were discussing it uh, when Fr- Frontier came out, or, or people were sick of Blue White Flash, and there wasn't nothing new. But I think it's hard to maintain those people when something like a new set comes out, like Admon Cat. Now people want now there's important standard tournaments again, and, and people are going to gravitate towards that. Or Admon Cat Sealed, or whatever is going to come out. Like the GP Montreal is going to be Admon Cat Standard, and now people are prepping for that. So I think once we're close to a new set, it's going to change really fast about who, what time people want to devote to other formats outside of the ones officially uh, supported by Wizards. But if you have a very strong community with a lots of different players playing different formats, then I think you can pull it off. Rob, I'll, I'll pass to you to floor first. Rob? Me? Oh, I, get to, I get to weigh in on this? Yeah. Sweet. So I forget where Frontier even starts. Is it M15 or Origins? I believe M15, but I'll look it up as you... Right, okay, so the fact that like, no one really knows is just... I, oh, I says know. how arbitrary and stupid the format is. <laughs> it's just like, who's to... Like, I'm sure that the format is fine, right? But the reason no one cares is because no one's put any thought to know that, like, okay, should it be M14 and up? Is that a better format? Or should it start from Origins? Is starting from Origins a better format? Or maybe we should start from Shadows over Innistrad or original Innistrad. It's just like an arbitrary point they, they picked without really thinking about it because, you know, there were some retailers that had a bunch of cards from these sets that they wanted to sell. And cool, it makes an interesting format, but if people are already invested in other formats, which are definitely not getting out of standard, right? That's the premier format that's never going away. And people that are invested in modern are not going anywhere because they're so invested in modern that, like, there's just no hope for Frontier being a real format until it becomes so prohibitive for new players to play Modern or Standard is so terrible that no one wants to play it. And that thing, those things were true for, like, a brief instant, and then Modern Masters came out, and Standard uh, had a bunch of bannings happen and a bunch of new uh, cards came out, right? 
So it's just like such a short-lived, brief instant where people are excited about doing something different because there's nothing else to do. Um, but like the being able to sustain that is so difficult because like you need a critical mass. It's not like Commander, right? If you have one other person that plays Commander with you, you can just do that. You're just two casual dudes or whatever playing Commander. Cool. You can find two other people. You casually play. It's not a big deal. But with Frontier, you need to run tournament and you need you know, 16 people or more before it really starts getting interesting, which means like 16 people in your local area need to be interested in a format that no one in the world actually cares about. (laughs) It's just like not going to happen, right? And I agree that like in Japan, where they started the format, the format should be popular. They originated it. They were the reason it it started, right? So there's obviously some interest from the stores to keep pushing it and then the player bases to, to sustain it, right? And in Toronto, I'm also not surprised that the format has not died because it is the home of the two craziest MTG, or fr- MTG Frontier supporters that I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> they own the website mtgfrontier.com. They have a weekly podcast on how great the format is or whatever, right? They have a, a website where people are still writing articles for uh, the frontier format, even though no one cares about it. So, like, yeah, if you just have like this much effort and people constantly trying to push it, then it can stay around. But it's definitely less popular than it was here when it first started. Right? There's like a lot of hype in the beginning, and then people realize that like, oh wait, this doesn't provide me a path to the pro tour. It doesn't really actually make me any money, and I can just like go back to playing modern. So, like, what's the point of like kind of being in this meta game that doesn't mean anything? So. Yeah, I think it's dying. It's probably already actually dead, and people are just like not letting it go. Um, and it will be replaced by whatever Wizards comes out with in five to ten years to put something in between modern and uh, and standard because the format's too large and unwieldy, and the ban list has grown uh, too much that they feel they need to freshen things up uh, and make some new decks and new strategies um, to keep people's interest. But it's not Frontier. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Brian, you don't have too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just it's just totally dead. I I don't I've never built a frontier deck. I don't know a person who has ever built a frontier deck. I've never discussed frontier anywhere except in this podcast. It just like has a couple of people who are uh, almost creepily attached to the format. Like if you talk bad about it on Twitter, they'll show up and yell at you. Like it's really strange how tied these people are to the front to frontier. I mean, unless they have financial incentive for it to succeed, I don't understand why they're so adamant about it. Look, I do think there should be more formats. I actually, I don't like that we have a, a shortness of formats. I enjoyed when there was block PTQ season. I like that we play block format. And you know, back then when I started playing competitive magic, we had block uh, PTQ season. We had sealed PTQ season. We had extended PTQ season. And we had standard PTQ season. Four different PTQ seasons that completely had their own metagames that you learned all, all of the different metagames and you thought about these decks and, you know, the different websites wrote about that metagame, whatever the PTQ metagame was, that's what they were talking about, you know, barring a GP or something like that. Uh, and I like that. I thought that was really interesting. And, and when standard gets bad, yes, people are going to look for something like that. But it needs to provide a path to the Pro Tour. It needs to be sanctioned by Wizards. Um, modern is, is kind of filling that role. but I think that the recent problems with modern, or excuse me, with standard, speak to the need for more rotating formats, and, and that's what Wizards tried to get. They wanted there to be only one rotating format, standard, and everything else lasted forever, because they think people get mad when things rotate. But if it's done intelligently, 
if you have a smaller rotating format within the larger rotating format, it was never that bad. I, I never felt like I was getting priced out when Extended was around because all my standard cards then, after they left, were still, a lot of them were viable and Extended. And, you know, I, I never felt like I had to buy extra block cards because if they weren't getting played in Standard, they were super cheap or they were my Standard cards and I already had them. Um, so I, I liked when Block Constructed was a format. Were the metagames always great? No, not always. But there were some really good Block Constructed formats. I remember enjoying playing Lorwyn Shadowmore Block Constructed. And I don't know. My end point <laughs> is that we do need more rotating formats. They have to be sponsored by Wizards. At some point, they'll get around to it. But Frontier was not it. It wasn't even close to it. Uh, there was some very small pockets of interest. Some of those small pockets of interest still exist, but in the broader Magic community, it's a blip. It means absolutely nothing, and most people are not interested. I be, actually, the most interesting thing about Frontier to me, before we kind of let KYT actually close the show, is that it proves that if a store or multiple stores are interested enough and get together, like, for example, if CFB and Star City um, were, like, just chatting when they were both at a GP or whatever, and they were talking about, like, how many like just useless uh, emeralds they had and they needed to somehow get rid of them because they went deep on them and now no one has them or they have like all these fallen our guardians that are now worthless right it means that they could wait four years they could plan now they could buy all this stuff up that would be good if you started a format from uh, Kaladesh block forward and then they could just push it for like six months and there would be enough interest for them to out those cards create this format and then have it just die and then go back and do the same thing. Like that experiment is now proven. And I hope that people don't do that, but that is definitely something that you could do. MDG frontier has shown that it is possible to do. So do that we, is exactly what happened. <laughs> I never thought about this hard. Cause I never thought that was the reason, but do we believe that to be Harry Rui's reason for, for coming out with this? Or yes. hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. It's like the most open block or whatever. And had all this value in it that was like untapped. That was like so rich when all those cards were in standard, and so worthless when they rotated. <laughs> like if you create any format that you is using cons block where those cards are actually powerful, there's a lot of ten cent cards that go to a dollar, and a lot of dollar cards that go to five. Um, and that includes M15 too. There was some spicy stuff, and like Rabble Master was useless now, right? Now it's insane. So I don't know, because I definitely don't think. Of course, my friends who who are pushing the format. No, that's not the, their. That's right. not the reason. That's they not did their, it. exactly. Right, right. You know, but that's the reason. Down. It All you need is to find the community people to support you, and you know they're not doing it for the financial reasons. They're doing it for the love of right, this right. weird format. I, just because, because like I said, there needs there should be more rotating formats. People like figuring out rotating formats, and standard can get stale sometimes. So it's nice to have another one to go to. Uh, it just it just sucks that we're shoehorned into standard all the time. Like. I liked when there was more, more forms of magic around. I like playing different forms of magic and still have a chance of going to the Pro Tour, as long as it's not modern. So let's, let's get back to more rotating formats. Watsy needs to get some of that secondary market value then, though, because you've got to sell them packs. That's where they that's make true. their cash. No, and, and that's the reason why we only play standard now is because that's where the cash is for Watsy. It's in selling the standard cards. It's not in selling the old cards. So I don't know. It's, it feels a little short-sighted to me, but you could see how if it was if it was extended season and all the best cards were from three years ago, 
you know, if it was extended PTQ season and all anyone was talking about was extended cards and all anyone wanted to do was play test games of extended, well, how many, uh, how much of your standard set are you selling? It's like a very clear business decision that they should focus on standard. It just kind of is disappointing for us as players. Yeah, that's fair. I just want to clo- uh, close the show by reminding people that we, we got this question. I feel like a lot of people like randomly tweet and bash Frontier like uh, unprompted, but we were definitely asked for our opinion. And, are you uh, trying to protect yourself from the yeah. angry Frontier guys? Is that what you're doing? You for can sure, admit it. Sure. Uh, Maddie oh, and Matt Mealing are just going to show up at KYT's doorstep. <laughs> what are you doing this for? Everything was fine. <laughs> Uh, I love that guy, and I uh, just wanted to be clear about <laughs> why we're doing it. Um, honestly, got a question. because No, because I've seen people just, like, randomly, right, randomly tweet that, that Frontier is dead, and it's like, you know, no, no one really asked. No one, yeah, so, and that's a wrap. Uh, that shout-outs to all our First Strike Nation, uh, First Strike producers, uh, Kyle Smirchik, Derek Pite, Adrian Murchison, Isaiah Carrero. I got it all in one shot this time, Rob. And uh, we'll see you next Monday. And hopefully more stuff in the Google Drive for the First Strike Nation, more different decks. I'll be jumping in and seeing if I can uh, Bruce. Uh, probably not. Blue White Temple. That's not going to work. <laughs> There's no smugglers copter. Like, what am I doing? I don't think I can. It was the only reason to, to play the deck. Make it work, KYT. I want to see the list that comes out of this process. At the very least. I didn't even like, as we were gravitating, uh, as I was evolving the deck, it got to the point where I didn't even like uh, Spellcrawler that much because of how it fit in the metagame. It wasn't that great um, I, against blue-black, because uh, green-black, sorry, because they have so many ways to kill it that uh, people, everyone, in their cyborg guys were cyborging them out. So it was really awkward in a lot of matchups. And they removed the cards that I wanted to keep. So we'll see. We'll see. I'll try, I'll try to work my magic. Uh, for uh, Brian, for Rob, for Dagger4, who's not here, <laughs> and for, for the show, see you